And welcome to another episode of the Sartorial Geek Podcast on Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything between. I am your host, Webster Style, the man, the voice, the fragrance, ringing in 2022 with a brand new episode. Now, of course, I hope you had a very happy holiday. I hope that you had a very happy new year. And let's get into the download. The Double Dragon series is one of those video game series that is always heralded as a classic. Particularly, most people refer to the original um, Double Dragon as well as Double Dragon 2 as really being the gold marks for the series. Due to a lot of issues over the years, it never really hit its stride as monks or amongst gamers or the public consciousness uh, in the years and decades afterwards there have been many double dragon games that have come out double dragon has literally been on every system since really the atari yes there's a port for the atari systems but one of the more uh, up-to-date ports or remakes or however you want to call it or versions of the game came out in 2012 and that game was double dragon neon now originally when it came out it was released on the xbox 360 and the PS3. Since then, it's available on Steam, and also they recently released it on the Switch. Now, this is a game I actually played uh, once or twice many, many, many years ago with the advent of Game Pass. And for whatever reason, didn't stick. Now, I have to tell you, I am a humongous Double Dragon uh, fan. I played the original one in the arcade a lot. Well, actually, not in the arcade. Uh, it was at the corner liquor store for any city Baltimore so a lot of times that is the only place where a video game machine was and that actual establishment had a plethora of arcade cabinets over the years while I was growing up no I did not partake in any of their uh, beverages that they sold obviously speaking but I, I spent a lot of time there playing Double Dragon and then when Double Dragon 2 came home to the Nintendo Entertainment System that behind Contra and Mario games was probably the game I sunk most of my time into especially with the co-op play with my, my best friend Jeff at the time and so with that I've always been a fan of the Double Dragon series so when I picked up Double Dragon Neon a few years ago for some reason I just didn't like it I don't know if it was about the gameplay I gave it about five minutes turned it off so something made me go to pick it up the other day and I really sat down and played it and let me tell you if you are a Double Dragon fan if you are a beat em up fan this is a game that you really should play I, I love the, the graphics the 3D kind of 2D-ish graphics of the game are, are really cool the fighting is really solid they incorporate a lot of move sets that were introduced in previous double dragon games especially the hurricane kick and it's so easy to pull off now not like it was with the nintendo days it's a really satisfying experience from the fighting perspective but also it incorporates so many 
elements of building your character. You're able to get uh, tracks from the classic games as well as uh, other inspirational tracks from the games to give you increased fighting moves and abilities. Uh, there are also pickups that restore health and everything, much like games like Streets of Rage or Fatal Fury uh, that you know you really didn't have in Double Dragon games before. I understand as well when it comes to two-player, there are certain aspects where you can you know give life to your partner or give lives to your partner, much like with the Contra games of old. And the main villain Skullmageddon is really like a cross between Skeletor and the Shredder, and his puns and his one-liners are absolutely hilarious playing him every single time during the game you just you can't help but laugh it's so it's so bad it's good sort of jokes and he does sound like uh like a, a kind of a skeletal knockoff the original skeletal from the 80s series of he-man so it's it's one of those games that i'm surprised that i slept on so much and i really disliked but once i got into playing it it was really a fun enjoyable time definitely worthy of that double dragon monarch and i really think it's one of the best double dragon games to have ever been released now as i said before it was released on the uh 360 and the ps4 excuse me ps3 obviously ps3 titles aren't backwards compatible with the ps5 but of course with the xbox is backwards compatible so as actually available for purchase now on um, Xbox for $9.99. If you have Game Pass, it's discounted to $7.99. But of course, if you have Game Pass, you can play it with your subscription for free $99. And also, it's available on the Switch for $14.99. So check it out, Double Dragon Neon. It was developed by WayForward, and they've done a plethora of really high-quality 2D, 3. Point, I mean, 2.5D games like the uh, Shanae series or Shantae series series over the years. So have, they have a very good track record. They also did the Mummy Demaster game that came out a couple years ago that everybody talked about. So they have a really good pedigree for these sort of games, and I definitely think you should check it out. Now let's get on to our podcast spotlight. Now the holidays are over, and with the holidays you tend to see a lot more people traveling. Even before the holidays, more and more people were starting to travel in this new COVID world. Well, with that, I have a podcast for you, the Black Will Travel Podcast. So if you're looking to travel, what you need to know, maybe the do's and don'ts uh, during this whole pandemic, this is definitely a podcast for you. While it doesn't come out that frequently, uh, it's definitely a podcast by its host Sean Charisse that will help you navigate this new world of travel not just new world of travel just travel in general uh, she often has well she has additional uh, tips and tricks for this new travel environment the podcast also has features guests and recommendations for your next destination I have to say that I have personally been using uh, Blackwell Travel for all of my personal travel needs since 2007 this podcast is an extension of the actual travel agency but even if you don't utilize the services the podcast has a world of, of knowledge uh, from do's and don'ts as far as COVID as far as registered state department you know international travel 
their guests talking about their experiences traveling, ideas for your next travel destination, how to do things maybe a bit more inexpensively or just finding ways to make your money go further. So definitely you should check out the Black Will Travel podcast link in the show notes or just do a search for Black Will Travel or of course just go to blackwilltravel.com you'll find it there as well as all of the agency services. Now let's get on to the short takes and the short takes today are going to be pretty short hopefully. Uh, So the first one I want to tackle is that they dropped the teaser trailer for the Naomi series based on the DC comic series and this series on the CW is being headed up by Oscar Award winner uh, Ava DuVernay and it looks really good. Unfortunately, I'm not interested. Um, I think personally, it's not that I don't think the show is going to be good, especially considering the pedigree and even the trailer looked really, really good. I'm really burnt out on superhero shows. And and maybe it's because it's on the CW, but just there, there are a lot. There is a, I think in my opinion for me, there's a stigma uh, associated with the CW and superhero shows at the moment. And I'm just not interested i know it's not part of the arrowverse but overall and this is just not the cw i am burnt out on superhero shows i am just not that excited for a new superhero series on any network especially the cw but when it comes out i will more than likely give it an episode or two to see what i really think of it come back to you guys and talk about it and then move along amongst my merry way. And I believe it comes out sometime this month. I think next week, if I remember correctly, the debut episode drops. So I'll drop that uh, and watch that on the CW app more than likely. And then check it out and let you guys know. So that's that. Now, 2022 has been an interesting year thus far. We've already lost some very notable names. Uh, in 2022, we lost, we have lost uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa, and I believe it was an Anglican bishop, if I remember that correctly, but he was very much on the forefront against, uh, uh, for fighting against apartheid back in the 80s and then 90s before apartheid was ultimately repealed and Mandela was released. But right on 31st of December of 2021, we lost. Betty White. Now, as far as the blurred geek sort of pop culture community, Betty White was just amazing. For people like myself of my age, our introduction to Betty White was and always will be the Golden Girls. Uh, Myself, uh, Saturday nights were spent really watching NBC with my grandparents. And the Golden Girls was a staple of that lineup for many, many years. I remember what Golden Girls, Empty Nest. I think Hunter was on at that time, 10 o'clock at night. Sisters was on. I mean, Facts of Life was on there at one point in time on a Saturday night uh, staple. But the Golden Girls was hands down the best show that was on that Saturday night lineup on NBC in the mid to late 80s. And that ensemble crew just provided nonstop laughs. If you go and watch some Golden Girls now, and I think. Um, Hallmark shows it all the time. I believe all the episodes on Hulu, you should watch it. The Golden Girls has a brand of comedy that has stood the test of time. And Betty White uh, playing her character and her name escapes um, uh, Rose uh, from St. Olaf. She was just sweet, kind, and so aloof. And it's interesting because originally she had auditioned to play the part of, of Blanche 
the uh, sexy hoish uh, vixen of the quartet played by Rue McClanahan, but they ultimately had her play Rose, and I think it worked very well. I couldn't see her as as Blanche in that show. Anyway, uh, Betty White is, has never shied away from the public eye over the years. Uh, what the movies with Ryan Reynolds, Slingers commercials, she's always popped up here. Then she's always just been hilarious, and she had a very long television career before the Golden Girls with being in various sitcoms as well as hosting on variety so back in the day so it's she lived to 99 that was just something I was like she had this humongous birthday planned uh, for her 100th birthday what it would have been at the time of this recording 10 days from now but ultimately she didn't make it so we want to say to Betty White in the afterlife thank you for being our friend I hope that uh, you and the rest of the Golden Girls, because she was the last one, are there sitting in your heavenly kitchen table eating cheesecake and drinking coffee. So that's it for the short takes. So from short takes into a new segment called the Long Box. Now, one of the things I talked about last podcast was my new found uh, treasure trove of comics in the uh, Marvel Unlimited app. And one of the things that I wanted to do was really kind of revisit some of the old comics that I grew up with that really got me excited about comics way back when. So this is a bit different from a review. This is more of just digging in the long box and finding one of those old comics or comic series or storylines in this case to really talk about and talk about the impact that it had on me as a comic fan. And this week on The Long Box, we're talking about Extinction Agenda. Now, Extinction Agenda is a 1990 crossover between all of the X-Men titles at the time. At the time, that was just three. It was New Mutants, Uncanny X-Men, and X-Force. And this was the first crossover at the time that reunited all of the forces because there had been so many things that had happened over the years. The X-Men were split up. Um, across the world the new mutants was still back at Xavier's um, mansion but now Cable had taken over and come in and then you had the original X-Men with Hawkman, Cyclops and Marvel Girl and Angel, Archangel, Iceman and Beast had formed X-Factor so they all been shattered in their own books but they came together with the mutant genocide and enslavitude that was happening in the island of Genosha. And with this, it was really backed by a former ally turned uh, foe to X-Factor, Cameron Hodge, as well as the reintroduction of the time of Havoc, who was thought to have been lost and dead before now. Now, this is actually this series or this storyline itself holds a lot of meaning to me as far as being a blurred and a comic collector simply because Uncanny X-Men 271, which was part four of this series, which is a non-issue storyline with three issues per, per title. This was the first comic I actually ever purchased. I purchased it at a 7-Eleven on Emerson Avenue back in Baltimore. Yes, I still remember all these years later where I purchased my very first comic book. And so this was an introduction to me into the X-Men universe and is one that I remained in for, for decades to come. And I think for me, without knowing the backstory, coming in in this crossover was a very good 
way of learning about all of the X titles, learning about the X-Men universe up at that point, at least learning who the major players were. Uh, I think for really being uneducated, it was a bit of a um, bit difficult to understand what's what, who's who to some extent, like not knowing about Havoc and everything up beforehand, not knowing who Cameron Hodge was and that backstory and the history with X-Factor and then his villainous turn and his relationship with Richter and having that mutant-hating uh, organization. So that aspect was somewhat difficult to follow but the characterizations of understanding okay you already you got a very good sense of that love triangle between cyclops and wolverine and gene gray by certain things that happened during the uh during the storyline you got an idea of what people's powers were what people's dynamics were amongst each other and the dynamic between the team teams as well and i really think that it was for me if i don't know if i would have been as into comics as i would have been if this wasn't what i picked up because it was action-packed it featured amazing art this is when jim lee was drawing uncanny x-men so even looking back at it now his art was just man he and not to knock anybody else who's drawn x-men since then because there are a lot of artists who i have loved drawing x-men and x-men titles but there was something about jim lee's art that really translated to the x-men and i think that personally speaking i've seen some of his batman stuff obviously when he did wildcats and other things i think there was such a match between jim lee's art and the way the characters were depicted at the time I just think that it was just such a wonderful marriage of the two creatives, as well as at that time, Chris Claremont, the, the legendary X-Men writer, was writing the title at the time. And I believe uh, Peter David was writing, Peter David was writing X-Factor, if I remember correctly, as, no, uh, Louise Simonson. Louise Simonson was writing x-factor and then you had was she writing new mutants as well i forget anyway you had a, a heavy hitter uh, assortment of writers on these books as well as the art was no slouch this is when rob liefeld was really coming into his own as far as mutants is concerned uh john bogdanov who i've spoken about before no i haven't um, John Bogdanov, I've always loved his art and that's I was introduced to his artwork here in the supplemental, as you can imagine, by X-Men or Uncanny X-Men 271, I ended up picking up the other books. So John Bogdanov was buying and was drawing X-Factor at the time. And I love the different art styles between the three artists. But more importantly with Bogdanov, he is someone whose art I came to love specifically uh, when he went on to do Superman years later and by extension he ended up doing Steel which is one of my favorite characters of, of all time so these are our three artists that as uh, a blurred I've really come to love and enjoy uh, what they've created over the past 20-30 years so it was a heavy hitter assortment of both people on the pen as well as uh, people on the keyboard or whatnot when it comes to writing but this really shook up the status quo in the x-men universe at the time again it is not anything as earth-shattering as the current storylines that are have been happening now with uh croatoa is it croatoa and all of that uh, shenanigans that's going on with the X-Men. I'm not saying shenanigans in a bad way. It's just that the, the stakes and the sort of world building are, are definitely drastically different. They had to do something there to really shake things up and to change things because now you have 
30 years of storylines, 30 years of crossovers uh, to really try to reimagine the X-Men and the X-Universe. It was very difficult to do for any writer coming in. But this Extinction Agenda was really that that first crossover that really shook things up. So it, I definitely recommend it. And I ran through Uncanny X-Men 270, New Mutants 95, X-Factor 60, Uncanny X-Men 271, New Mutants 96, X-Factor 61, Uncanny 272, New Mutants 97, and X-Factor 62. You can find the all the issues on the Marvel Unlimited app, and they're also trade paperbacks as well. Uh, if you're looking to collect the individual issues, I think you can find most of them for Bobby probably about $10 a pop or so on uh, your local comic book store but it is definitely a a monumental crossover in the X universe that really kind of begat that annual crossover I think you had the um, Mirror Island Saga after that and Executioner's Song and Phalanx Covenant and all these sort of events happen every one to two years and of course we can't forget the Age of Apocalypse a couple years later uh, so it really started the trend of that multi-comic X-Men yearly crossover now we're going to take a break and when we come back on the other side we're going to talk about our hidden gem and then of course our fragrance of the week and boy do we have something special for you today and now it's time for the hidden gem of the week now this is one that i think that many in the blur community especially i have to go back to that age sort of demographic but there are certain things that come out during sort of your seminal years of growth and development especially in your young adult years that you tend to take hold to it to gravitate to and one of those movies that i think that many in sort of my age demographic will probably remember is a gem of a movie called dark city now for those that aren't familiar dark city is a 1998 neo-noir science fiction film is directed by alex proyas who also directed the crow it stars Rufus Sewell, Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly, Richard O'Brien, and William Hurt. So, you know, a bunch of A-list actors there. And it was from a screenplay by Proyas, Lem Dobbs, and David S. Goya, who wrote the Blade films, who wrote the Dark Knight trilogy. So you have a lot of seminal writers, directors, and actors in the genre in this movie. And it originally came out through New Line Cinema, so it's probably on HBO Max. Actually, no, I think right now it is on Amazon Prime if you want to watch it. But in it, uh, Sewell plays John Murdoch. He's an amnesiac man, amnesiatic man who finds himself suspected of murder. Uh, during the movie, he attempts to discover his true identity and clear his name while on the run from the police and a mysterious group known as these strangers now not to spoil uh too much his amnesia is very much a part of the whole plot that is going on especially with these mysterious strangers i really am sad that this is such an underrated gentleman jim and it wasn't as successful in the box office i personally at the time didn't see it until it came on dvd uh tells you how old i am in that regard but it is a very well structured movie it is a movie that creates a lot of atmosphere and more importantly and this is one of the things i i miss about that sort of late 90s mid to late 90s early 2000s sci-fi everything was there were so many original ideas that were 
being funded and put on screen. You know, even thinking of just a year after that, we got The Matrix. Uh, a few years before that, like I think I talked about Lost in Space before, uh, there were a lot of seminal science fiction films that came out that were very unique in their premise that, you know, we, we were able to explore like things like uh, Existence and um, Stranger Days came out around that time as well. I think that's like a 99 film with uh, uh, one of the Fines brothers and Angela Bassett. So it, it was very unique and it's still a very unique movie. That's what I really, I think that when it comes to mainstream sci-fi, science fiction, uh, outside of the superhero genre, I think we've gotten too lax in kind of retreading the same sort of ideas, principles, and then remakes. And we just saw this with the last Matrix film that just came out, and I haven't seen it yet, so I have no comments on it. But Dark City is one of those movies that I think that you should definitely watch. And again, I'm not really going to go too much into it because I don't want to reveal any spoilers. Yes, it is a uh, 20 plus year movie at this time, but if you're going to watch it for the first time, after hearing my words about this movie, I don't want to spoil anything for you in that regard because there are a lot of twists and turns in that movie that you don't see coming. And it's one of the most fascinating aspects of when you watch a good movie is for those things to be revealed to you. I love watching a movie where I can't predict what happens. And so many movies nowadays, it is very easy to predict what happens. Uh, my wife and I literally, when we watch movies, we're able to predict 90, no, I'd say 75 to 90% of what's going to happen in the movie, how things are going to play out, what's going to happen to this character after about the first 20 minutes or so. Simply because they all follow the same basic structure. And I love it when you have movies that turn everything on its head or present such a unique idea that you can't really guess as to what's going to happen who's who and more importantly how things are going to end and dark city is definitely one of those movies where you will not be able to guess what's going on what's happening until the very very end of the movie and it's such a rewarding cinematic experience that if you have a humongous tv and a big sound system you will definitely get a treat for your senses and just really to create that atmosphere of that world as you're watching it in your own living room and if you don't it's still a great movie to watch so i definitely recommend dark city like i said before i think right now it is on amazon prime but i'm pretty sure you can rent it out there on all major renting services now moving from dark city let's get into our fragrance of the weekend as i said to you before i have a treat for you now we recently we as an i uh, was sent a bottle of George Saharoff's newest fragrance, Tabak. And I will say this, it was sent very graciously, by solicitation. Um, it does not influence my opinion of the fragrance. I have not been paid. There's been no compensation. The bottle was sent without request. And um, thank you, George, for that. I appreciate it. Now, getting into my uh, basic overview. So, this is one of the newest fragrances from the uh, House of Zaharov. I've talked about all of their fragrances thus far, and it is a house that, personally speaking, I have not been disappointed in. 
and I was very curious about tobacco. Uh, George had told me about uh, this fragrance a very long time ago. Uh, just doing one of our casual conversations on uh, Instagram. So it's one of those ones that honestly been so long ago and he told me about it, something was developing. I forgot about it until it recently released. And it's going to be very different than some of the other mainline fragrances, not necessarily talking about the fragrances he did with the uh, fragrance influence that I talked about as well. But it's going to be a lot heavier than some of his other fragrances. Not so much like the signature uh, Noir, but something a bit, bit different, especially a bit sweeter, a bit more intimate. At least that's what I thought based on the description. And I'll tell you what I think after I get down a get through a breakdown of the notes. So with the top notes, we have cognac, lavender, rum, star anise, and divania. Heart notes or mid notes, we have gold honey, cedar blonde or blonde cedar temple oud tobacco leaf pimento leaves and fir balsam base notes when the dry down we have cedarwood plum black amber myrrh frankincense tonka bean and vanilla now for me tobacco is one of those scents that before i've really gotten the fragrances if you told me that yeah you would like a fragrance that had a tobacco base or prominent tobacco notes i would have told you you were lying because that sounded so that sounded so far from anything i want to smell like but in my discovery tobacco especially when it's done right is a very can be a very sweet and very masculine sort of scent profile to have as a man and with signature tobacco it is accompanied by so many other notes that it really creates this unique smell for me compared to some of the other tobacco fragrances I have, have smelled before. Uh, one of the things, especially with the, the mid notes, you have that cognac that really, really kind of translates into the mid notes, at least with my nose. But that tobacco combined with the honey and the oud you have this very sweet masculine fragrance in that mid note that I think is really going to be pleasing to the nose of whomever is smelling you now side note when I initially sprayed it I had some other parties in the room when I initially put it on for my first wearing and the first response was "Ooh, I like that I really like that so that's the first reaction that I received when spraying uh, Signature Tobacco. And then I've said it before, I'm a sucker for fragrances that have vanilla, especially in that base. And one of the things that Zahara fragrances do so well is they're able to use uh, that oud, that frankincense, that myrrh, really in very different combinations. The earth in the myrrh and the frankincense here in the base note, they mix so well with that tonka bean and vanilla, the amber as well. So you get a, a very masculine sweetness uh, throughout. And I think with the different layers of the fragrance, it's definitely going to offer something unique that uh, you probably don't have in your collection. Uh, and it's one of those fragrances that for me, first application i was scared of really spraying a lot now you don't need a lot but i will say with the hard fragrances the way they go on at least for, for me 
and also the way they smell because they smell so good I have to stop myself from spraying I really the first bottle of the harvesting to perform that I poor home that I owned was a humongous 100 ml bottle and actually no 6 ml bottle I killed that in a year because it's the fragrances especially I think it's something about the lavender and the top notes it's such a soothing scent when you spray it on even in tobacco you just want to keep spraying so I didn't want it to be too heavy but with my initial wears, I don't think this is a fragrance you can worry about overspraying. One of the things I love about Zahar fragrance, they really strike that balance with having very potent, powerful uh, notes with the oils that they use. But it's nothing over. They're not going to overpower uh, you if you spray a bit too much. And you're not going to choke people out with this. Now, I don't say you should overspray, but if you do, you're going to be safe, uh, even with such a, a really potent fragrance as uh, Signature Tobacco. So for me, this is definitely one hands down I'm going to be wearing a lot this winter. I One of the things I love about Sahara fragrances, and I know I sound like a show sometimes when I talk about them. I love that balance because it's you have this intimateness, but also you can very easily wear this in an office. You can very easily even wear this to a formal function. It is such a, a mild scent, but still potent that I don't think it would be out of place in various locations and circumstances you may find yourself in. Now, obviously, especially with Omicron popping off. Uh, right now, a lot of people aren't going to be finding themselves in these sort of environments really to take advantage of it. But I really enjoy uh, this fragrance. I can't say it's my favorite of the line. I think Signature Home will probably always be my favorite just because it's such a classic, classic scent that or a reinterpretation of a classic sort of scent of Fougere that uh, for me just goes with anything and anywhere. But I think this is definitely my third favorite fragrance behind uh, Signature for Home and this Signature Noir. Uh, tobacco is one I'm definitely loving and I can't wait to really wear it more. And even as the winter moves on, I think I could really see wearing this in the spring and summer. So I'm waiting to see or enthusiastic to see how it performs in different seasons to see what sort of profiles my nose is able to really garner from how it really uh, dissipates on my skin in those environments. So I'm really excited for this. This is this is definitely one I really love. And as I said, my top three is the hard fragrances and it's definitely one you will be seeing more of on my Instagram because I really feel like I'm going to be reaching more for this in the next few months in this cold weather as we go forward. So that is my fragrance of the week. Saharf Signature Tobacco. And after the fragrance of the week, you know that it is time for the end of the show. This has been another episode of the Sartorial and Geek Podcast by Webster Style, where, of course, we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I have been your host, Webster Style, the man, the voice, the fragrance, wishing you a very, very happy 2022 feel free to find us on Instagram at Webster Style and Sartorian Geek. Find us on Twitter at Webster Style. Find us on the internet at WebsterStyle.com. Also, 
drop us an email at info at WebsterStyleMagazine.com. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving me your ear. And remember, stay safe out there and be blessed.